Hello, and you're listening to The Seventh Reel. This week, George Lucas's big, well, first big Hollywood project, THX 1138. I keep forgetting, like, do we usually introduce ourselves? No. All right. We're just the voices in your ear this I'm, time. I'm Yusuf. Just having an intro. See, this this one feels like being an individual, so, which brings us to this oh, film. Yeah. Good um, segue, Aaron. I, I know. <laughs> comes naturally now no just kidding so yusuf before recording yusuf was the one who said that he had the most takes and mm-hmm. had a lot the most to say so i want you to take i want you to take the lead here okay so i'm going to start by giving a brief introduction so this is a 1971 american social science fiction film which i didn't know was a thing i don't know what mm-hmm. a social science fiction is 1984 oh i see okay i i'm just what, 13 years early ah <laughs> uh, so this movie was uh from Lucas's student film Electronic Labyrinth, THX11384 EB, which was shortened. And it's uh, co produced between uh, Warner Brothers and American Zeotrope Francis Ford Coppola's production company. There is a novelization that was pu- published by Ben Bova, written by Ben Bova. Well, Fil- after it came out? Yeah, it's in 1971. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I- I'm assuming it came out like at the same time or afterwards. Um. There was a director's cut that was uh, released on in 2004, and its initial release was kind of mixed. Uh, reviews and were not that good, and box office obviously for a film like this wasn't like exactly super. You know, wasn't it a flop initially? I think so. Yeah. Now, what I have to say about this movie is. It definitely follows that this is based off a student film. Yes. It, um, essentially, I, I think it has the kind of aspect of a first film where it's like one idea and one sequence and then everything's built around it. And it's definitely fascinating in a, I think, unintentional way, despite it being very yes. like limited. In a, in it reveals a lot about what you think, like what Lucas feel, how Lucas feels about society. Mm-hmm and human relationships well, almost i don't and i don't think he intended intended to come off that way but you can at certain sequences kind we'll of see it I, makes you wonder we'll see that's that this is what uh, more i have to uh, like this is kind of where I, I differ in that i i think it does comment on that on like certain things where it's like okay well there's bureaucracy mm-hmm. and it's suffocating and there's all this like bland kind of um what's it called conformity and stuff like that but i mm-hmm. i think him being a huge fan of joseph camp and the star wars movies from what i know about them and their story structure reveals that this is kind of a formula because this movie is essentially the basic formula of uh, the hero's journey right the cave yeah and the, and the cave allegory yeah 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 but yeah. He escaped. And it kind of speaks, you know, to his taste as as an mm-hmm. auteur, I think, because it's kind of picking out the what works in storytelling and then playing with the the to him, I think the focus is on not just visually but tonally. And this mm-hmm. movie's all tone, I think. It's just like a pure like it felt very yes. European. It didn't feel like an American production at all. And I know that's kind of a generalization, but I genuinely feel there's like this movie's about an idea. And I think that's unintentional. I think it was like, okay, I'm a student. I'm making this film. And you could see that in like early Cronenberg or 
early anyone it's essentially them trying to mm-hmm. like build a movie with the limited tools that they have they're not like experts at it and then they're kind of working with whatever they have this set would look very expensive though yeah yeah I was very surprised and he did go back and like digitally add a bunch of cgi elements uh, did you guys watch the director's yeah. cut well what's the one that starts with the rock oh. hudson video is that yes that's the one i have i watched where it starts with that little little and that i think that that really cements that opening little segment that they put in really six cements wait like, what, what happened like, so the in my cut it opens before even the cre- even the uh, logo even the yeah. show up. they show this all oh, even the logo they show this little clip mm-hmm. of the this like 1950s flash gordon-esque like little space opera shows like oh the limits of science fiction like the, the unlimited oh. imagination of science fiction mm-hmm. yeah and then did yours come with that yeah and then there's a screen and it just and it's and the I, metropolis yes. it's the metropolis set the silent film yes and yes screen yeah i picked up that i thought that was really but cool. i didn't think I, much of that be, mm, <laughs> it's too, i think it's a contrast right i think he meant it as like okay this is like the idea this is what science fiction used to mean and this is how in my interpretation of how i would tackle it so, this is the real my reality of it so this i just kept thinking about the futurists in this with this film and like i don't know if lucas knew anything about the futurists because essentially what this whole film is going for like the whole every the synchronized people doing everything when they do it in the whatever synchronized Mm -hmm. way the futurists they wanted this society that worked like clockwork they wanted the buildings to reflect the clockwork they wanted people to get into this motion of clockwork they do the work they go home they do the work they go home this constant thing Mm -hmm. and everything reflected it and that's all i was just like that's what this film is trying to do while like commenting on but obviously uh-huh. that's like a, the capitalist thing that's pretty common today yeah. as well well i there's definitely a truth to that because you, you see that with obviously the medication and stuff like that those are all mm-hmm. uh tropes mm-hmm. but uh the the entertainment that they the, the thing that he's watching is essentially boiling down or distilling what the program yes. is mm-hmm. like so if it's an action movie it's just a guy hitting someone if it's a uh erotic sort of content it's, it's just yeah that. it's yeah. just it, that the jokes are just that just... uh the thing that i was fascinated by that they're mostly african-american like people yes providing mm. the entertainment right and it's also the uh, the hologram mm. the guy who's uh he yes. meets his uh they're all f- yes all the people of color in the film are artificial yeah. and take on artificial roles like the even like when these the african like when it's when it's the black person performing the comedy it's done in a way that's evocative of you know old minstrel like mm, performances yeah. that's kind of what i noticed i was like oh this is really specific i what do you think he's trying to say there? i my notes say tools of amusement i don't know if that's <laughs> that's mm. any i would agree like this is how society like our society would kind of categorize people who are different who don't fit in i suppose with it's their idea dehumanizing them and then using with, them for one thing yes that isn't is yes. essential yeah it's more again yeah tool so what i love the guards uh, yeah what do you think about the guards oh. the, mod- the the friendly sounding guards who are just the stormtroopers it's just like i love i love that it's just like a precursor for like the ideas that he and will the- the kind of sounds sp- of like their sticks were present. lightsabers, right? Like that's yes. his, his, yes. the same so sound cool. effect, exactly. He yes. really has a style. And the old, <laughs> he really has a style, and it comes through. In the, I love this is one of the like I love watching this movie because every single shot, there's something interesting that he puts into like the whole look. Yeah, I well it's so specific it, and tailored to his vision. Well, Michelle was talking about that about how expensive it looked and how. Mm-hmm 
kind of grand yes. the whole movie was like just technically and visually so what do you think that it, do you think just that being an expert at it or did he have the funds to make a movie like that at this time I, i'm not sure i think in, as in terms of like his this is like his first debut kind of big debut feature he i think as like an up-and-coming f- filmmaker as as and also embracing the identity of an alter he wanted to create a very very personal story yet he's given the world the entire toolbox to play with right and i so that's why i really find this movie fascinating because it's an incredibly personal and subjective story that has the grand grandeur of a huge hollywood action picture put into it however it's the the story is anything but like it's almost directly subverts what a flash like well like like just like the story he puts in the beginning what a flash gordon more kitschy and more kind of cheesy what we're, what we think science fiction should be and he presents a alternative vision is it, did this come out before 2001 no the, the camera work at times feels very kubrick in how intentional and rigid it is and artificial and and the way it observes the spaces i love 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 the car chase that towards the end Yusuf, I was wondering. I was wondering how do you feel. I was like, that was that. It was such a highlight, and it's like, oh, all of this like emotion, kind of more subdued emotion, like emotional journey, builds up to this very more tra- traditional action sequence that's done so so well, and I, I just love the way it's shot. I have mixed feelings it, about it because I, on the one hand, I really enjoyed it, but it just made this whole experience like, oh, okay, I see what's going on. Like, this was just building to a very cool reason to film a car chase like that, I I think. Uh, so I it kind of ruined the experience for me, but at the same time, I enjoyed it on its own as someone who, like, just likes mm-hmm. to turn his brain off and watch, like, an action I love movie. the sound of the, ca- the cars. And I love his idea of what future cars. Oh, it's just a car. It's going to strap a jet engine behind it. That's what. This, that's the natural conclusion. And then the sounds of it. I was like, oh, he. It's like the early precursor. It's a precursor for all the Tie Fighter and X-wing sound effects that he starts implementing in Star Wars. He has a very keen like understanding of how, like sound effects and sound really feeds into like the world and the story. Yeah. What did you guys think about the whole not having sex thing? Which. Feels very 1984. For our, the first act of this movie, it felt super, super 1984 to me. And him meeting the girl, then discovering like their their hidden passion for each other, them not taking the meds, all of that felt like oh, it's like and brave, brave new world as well. It felt like a mix between the two like inspirations. No, I was confused why they kept referring to her as a mate. Like they keep, but then when it lived with the man, if they were like roommate, I don't know if they changed it, but like it was like your mate and you live with them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, to me, that's like, oh, you reproduce, you mate as an animal. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, but you don't have but sex, so I didn't get it. Well, I thought they reproduced with like artificial methods that I I know, but then why don't it... they all have their own rooms? Well, I thought it was like the, you know, that pump thing that he wanted while he was watching the erotic yeah. girl and dancing. So I thought it was like they used her egg and his sperm that's just me for mm-hmm. oh, the maybe. so that's why they're referred to it as mate and then if they're troublesome then they move them to like two but they uh, could still sleep in separate rooms and that could still happen yeah yeah that's true actually uh, I, if they put them in separate rooms the whole plot falls apart <laughs> yeah so that there's your reason <laughs> uh michelle as an art uh history person do you i i don't know much about what Christ giving his blessing is that picture of the this is 
probably yeah. like uh, like throwing a baseball at you. I don't <laughs> I don't know if you if you know anything. Who's Hans Memling? If that's my correct pronunciation, do you know anything about him? Was no, painter. is he the guy who painted it? Yeah, yeah. So the picture that they are worshipping, or like the boost that they go, that's a picture of Christ giving his blessing, 1478. Hans Memling was a painter active in Flanders, who worked in the tradition of early ne- Netherlandish painting. And it's, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what the significance of it is. Probably just be like, oh, they're worshipping Christ. That's, I guess... But why that painting? So that's something I wanted to explore, but I know nothing about it. Yeah, I also don't. I feel like it's in terms just, it's Christ, but Christ in just a way, I think the painting evokes this distance from him, the way he looks at you, right? It feels more, compared to like the more traditional depictions of Christ, where it's, it, this feels more distancing and colder and kind of fits like this idea of like oh no religion and faith and your and your sins are is all condensed oh it's from the painting this, like, the easily last judgment. Du- oh the last so it's judgment. probably to do with that because they're being judged yeah and then so it's it's like a sort of triptych it looks it's like in five parts whatever mm-hmm. that's called um but then on the two sides there's a nun and like a priest like worshiping statues mm. and then there's like how on the left of Jesus on another panel and then it mm-hmm. looks like a stairway to heaven on the other and then there's like an angel deciding in the middle with Christ is like above the whole scene with his hand raised so I guess it's like they're the, the worshippers because they they're like they had this religious bit in it didn't they mm. with the nuns yeah yes which I think feeds further into the idea that it's like you see how like there's, it's only white people they're trying to tailor society into these very bland and simple Anglo-Christian ideals and 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 trying to enforce like this like. But I always thought it was like, why do you need religion if your emotions are suppressed? Because faith is important. Why? Because because they know they can't fully suppress them. I think it's because they know, despite everything else, people like they will, and also to keep track of their status. Then they I think. Just Obviously, those thoughts. boots are monitoring like, them. Just go further. Well, if they don't have thoughts, they can't do their job. Oh, that's true. They're already making robots. Maybe this is just like next logical step. Why do they make robots to make other robots? I didn't get that. Yeah. And like what they're was just rendering themselves useless? Yeah. With like we are doing that too. Yeah, but then we're making the robots so they can make us stuff, and so we could just like chill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're like all the horses because all the what horses do used about? to do all the carts, like take everyone mm. around, and now most horses get a pretty chill life. Yeah. Because they don't need to work anymore because we have cars to do it. Yeah, we we're like the new horses. Yeah. Humans, the new horses. <laughs> <laughs> So, I, I guess, wait, what, what did I, uh, else I have to say? The bureaucracy stuff kind of gets, like, I mean, it's cool. Like, okay, I get the point of it. Like, they're just throwing at you all these, like, mm-hmm. terms and numbers and blah, blah, blah. And you're not supposed to understand like, to kind of get this, like, routine. And if it's all arbitrary and it's just there to be there. Yeah, and... and uh, to, to help enforce, like, mm-hmm. the, the date, the mundanity and the system. And yeah. the, in the unfinished novel, The Pale King, they, he, the, the author does the same thing. And it's, I guess it's a... It's uh, to illustrate a point, but I I always found that that kind of fails, and I don't know why that is. I don't know why. Is it just too de- overwhelming, and you're just like, why am I keeping? Like, are you, is this is it too much that it defeats the purpose 
like the narrative purpose of it is that how you feel about it i guess that that's kind of yeah because you're trying to illustrate a point but there's there has to be engagement there and you can't mm-hmm. latch on to something that's totally foreign to you i see what i like about the bureaucracy is that they never portray the people working there as like overtly uh, malicious mm. it's just it's just like part is it's a bureaucracy these are just people doing their jobs and they stop chasing him because it's going yeah yeah that's actually Which so good I, I was i kept thinking about whether that's like an analogy for filmmaking itself because it ends on that huge expensive <laughs> oh my god that, yeah and they stop it because they're like okay well i mean it's going too far <laughs> it's going six we're like six thousand dollars over that's budget that's such I guess a good we, take oh just, my god yeah and when they're and when they're chasing him, they never like go like get back here, scum, rebel mm-hmm. scum, like in Star Wars. No, it's just like please come back here. We pro like we promise like nothing's gonna not, there's nothing yeah, wrong. What's the point in and, showing anger to people who have no emotions? Oh, well, well, I think they're chasing it because he does. Have I know, but no, like, but the themselves in theory yeah. they like they're keeping everyone in yeah. order, but mm-hmm. everyone is supposed That's to have true. no emotions. So like ha- adding anger in there is just something that they mm-hmm. shouldn't understand i wish this my big takeaway from this movie is that i wish george lucas made didn't didn't make star wars i wish he didn't because this is this was so interesting to watch and i was like i wish like he kept trying new different ideas but at one point i think this at the same time i feel like the fact that this was a box financial failure kind of taught him the lesson that okay i can do like to Mm. narrow down his strengths to be more appealing to the mass market because that's that's what kind of what star wars was this is what i i think happened i think he overcorrected and kind of yes and he overcorrected severely and then that like got you it got him like a money and fame and who says no to that mm-hmm. i feel like if if i wrote something and then it didn't strike a chord and but it i think it's like effective mm-hmm. and then i did the opposite of that and that won favor with everyone you know at the end of the day i just want to have a nice life so <laughs> i don't know <laughs> michelle what were you gonna say i'm sorry didn't star wars like i thought that when they made it they just kind of thought it's just like a science fiction film not many people are going to see it but then it blew up and they weren't expecting it at all yeah but to a degree like uh, i guess it's sort of that whole thing where he he was trying to make flash gordon right and in the beginning of yes. this movie with the rock hudson thing it kind of reflects yeah that, that what, okay oh, this is what i'm reflects how he feels about it mm-hmm. yeah there's a clear adoration for it but this is like no this is my alternative my vision of science fiction but then in order to be successful he ends up kind of embracing the flash gordon stuff which i found to be so interesting and yeah ironic but this is all speculation we don't know what was going on inside his head we don't know what his intention is he is still objectively the most successful filmmaker in existence so like we should maybe he did play his he did play his cards right he's Mm. look at him now but in the 70s like blockbusters had a completely different meaning thing because like Mm. that was like the era when blockbusters kind of started yeah late 70s early 80s that's yeah yeah with like jaws and star wars and stuff like that and i don't know because like then the blockbusters i mean not all of them i'm sure there was a load that just didn't make it anywhere mm-hmm. like today mm-hmm. that you know they were good and then i don't know you aim for the blockbuster but it's also good and just i don't know where i'm going with that but. no no i i totally get where you but you know what's fascinating to me the um, artists or authors who who like have a one big thing like obviously that's not like what they're all about but it, there's always like guys like jd salinger and george lucas who have that one big thing and they could kind of live off it 
and do nothing mm-hmm. else next but it's like i think margaret mitchell who wrote gone with the wind she, mm-hmm. i don't think she wrote any other books and the same with harper lee she never published after yeah Mockingbird. and do you think that's like sort of like okay well i nailed it or and i don't need to prove myself anymore or is it like well i don't want to sully the the thing i'm known for or is it kind of living in the shadow of the thing there's there's i i love that i All i find them. it fascinating <laughs> yeah yeah i guess it's yeah, it's more complicated than one thing but then there's like there's authors who only write in one world that they created like cassandra clare who wrote city of bones the mortal instruments mm-hmm. series oh yes they made one. films and tv shows and everything she's wrote like 20 books in that series now it's wow. ridiculous yeah i guess i have a theory that it's kind of like you don't get to choose what you what you write it kind of chooses you by the, your habits like yes I or mean, you don't choose what becomes successful. Or but you I think can that's let more, something more go. You don't have to keep writing it. Yeah, but my yeah. Orwell could have kept writing, you know, 1984. 1985, 1986. He's like, well, it's gone now. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, they choose to stop. But you know, uh, like George Saunders had this uh, quote of being like, "Well, I, I didn't even." Like he, he's like, why write a novel when I I'm like uh, I'm writing the purest form of this uh, of of fiction or which is a short story. But then if you read his novel, it's essentially <laughs> short vignettes like tied together. And I I I this, this is my my theory of it is that you're kind of like good at something, and then that's that's kind of what you're good at. You're not like gonna change i i i feel i'm maybe i'm totally wrong there are guys like picasso who do all these like different things and can shift into into different yeah, but I, I think with the mm. picasso because mm-hmm. he never stopped working he made i think millions of paintings he was working mm. all the time constantly evolving mm. like that's why he's good because he like honed his craft to an absolute t he was kept going and going and going and that's how you get better Mm. so it's not like oh i'm this is a job i clock in and clock out this is like a life and then that morphs i mean i think there's like the people who are like it's a job and then it's like i have to do it or i'll die but then like i think in the middle ground is like probably the best place to be yeah oh definitely yeah but i i just success just ruins you permanently in terms of just you actually achieving what you want to do as an artist initially like actually making the money and then it kind of just forces mm. is it is it actually what you're good at or is it just what makes money mm. I, I i think like you can see, did you see like how uh let's just take george lucas for example right you see his attempt he he made his he made his big like splash in the late 70s with star wars why did he return to i didn't feel like it, when he returned to for the prequels and i think there's a really good and that's the re- and 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 it really shows that the fact that he's not involved in like the latest trilogy at all, he's like old. whatsoever, isn't yeah, he's old? Isn't also indicative that he kind of wants to kind of wash his he wants to wash his hands mm-hmm. off it. And when I mean the prequels were bad, the the prequels were bad. But I, if, and if it feels like it's like he has he feels obligated no, to return okay. to give well, fans like, the answers baby. they need. He doesn't want someone else to continue. And he overexplained again, once again over. Well, I have a theory about that. I'm not familiar with again his work and the prequels. I've never seen any of them besides being forced Don't like watch to. The prequels. Yeah, well, I I I haven't even seen the in the trilogy. Like I've seen parts of it, and I know what it's all about. Kind of like. Maybe we should do an episode about that, <laughs> showing me Star Wars. But I, uh, I, from what I understand, is that 
his view of it was I made a thing that struck a chord with these kids and now let's do that again and but he failed to understand that most of the people who were he made something specific to that time and it's not that he made them for kids it's that he made them for these people who happened to be kids at that time so yes. they're growing up with yes. your yes. art so you have to like move with it you have to like make these movies but for adults now mm-hmm. uh, but you can say that like well, it did get a I new think generation I would say kids into did it, it, it get a new generation all I've seen is kids yeah. who uh, that's are my middle-aged first bitch that's about <laughs> them not being good <laughs> the problem I, I would agree with that to, to the extent that the if you watch the prequels at least the very first one it doesn't feel like it's for kids it opens it's it starts with it's about elaborate mumbo jumbo space trade relations that starts a war that turns out to be a proxy war which i like to see as like his indictment of the invasion of iraq mm. however um but it's not it really doesn't feel like it's for kids i think he made the same thing for two for the people who grew up watching the originals mm. who are who won't stop pestering him about it who won't who always want more and want more answers so he decides well i i screw it i guess i'll come back and give it another go when the mirrors mind you made made why not and then there's a, there's a wonderful documentary about making when they when they about making the first film when he showed the first rough cut to like the producers and like his close friends and when the lights come up everybody is in silence oh. and you can see him like sitting in the back kind of with his 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 like kind of like face and hands and thinking like oh oh no what do we do now because he's like all he's like he because he once again approached with so many new ideas and stuff like that he like but then i think he realized he's severely overcorrected again and now because it's the first of three films he has to go through with that vision and these films don't get and not and it's not as if like this second or third film got any better in fact the second would be the worst thing he's ever made yeah but i kind of it kind of felt that way to me like watch and especially watching like the old the older ones now and also this so i was like oh he's he tends to like over i think he overcorrected twice and he failed both t- well once one time first time it worked the second time not so much mm-hmm. it doesn't matter the second time around because he's already made his money in my opinion mm-hmm. wow did you know he produced labyrinth <laughs> that, that's yes <laughs> And yes, he and he. Oh, he came up with Indiana Jones. We have him to thank for Indiana Jones, also. Like, yeah, like mm-hmm. we this this guy. And we could talk about these in their own episode. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I find him to be a very fascinating character. Like, just his whole. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, of that group, like him, Coppola, uh, Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg, and Brian De Palma. They they viewed De Palma in uh, like initially when they were starting out as the guy like they were like oh yeah yeah he's the yeah. successful one he's the guy who nailed it yeah. and is nailing it and in retrospect now that you look at it it's kind of I mean obviously he's he's good in his own right but if you're looking at like purely success I don't know financially maybe yes. George Lucas is the guy well in terms of yeah. the money. Lucas, absolutely, hundred percent. He's the joker, and yeah. Spielberg, because I think they have good business sense as well. Because you hear like uh, they they know how to play the market, and they're good at maintaining and create their creative like their vision for like 
commercial success. Yeah. Because, like, you, you hear, like, old legends like John Carpenter lamenting, like, just how much he hates, like, working within the industry. Mm-hmm. How that really stifles, like, his like him as a creator and his, and, like, he doesn't want to do, and the, the fact that it's always about the money, it always ends up just, like, it, it's a system that churns it out. But I think, mm-hmm. yeah, it's when you try to, when you try to commercialize art, it inevitably becomes, like, not the great, the greatest artist isn't the one who is going to be the most well remembered is the one who perseveres within that market under the system of like audience expectation but that's to to be realistic like like that's kind of part of it like that's part of being in the medium like if you're gonna play guitar music you're essentially playing to be a rock star and i know that's kind of reductive and generalizing like a whole you know um idea but if if you're gonna be in pro jam you can't complain and be like oh i hate being famous that's part of the job right oh I mean, is that what kurt cobain did until like to, to the, the yeah end? sort of and mm-hmm. yeah I, and i think that's sort of yeah what the the tension is that you're trying it's, to be creative not, mm-hmm. and you're trying to be independent and you're mm-hmm. trying to break through and do all these like things that are, an artist is supposed to do which is you know break boundaries and not yes just fall into the same routine but you're trying to do it within a system that you know defines success by how many people you're getting on board and that's never going to be mm-hmm. the the jarring or the 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 lynchian <laughs> kind of yes, path the... because you're not trying to alienate anyone right and i the it, first movie it, this movie true. is yeah. kind of about that about like not conforming but then it's made by the guy who knows how to formulate a story to people who just the the widest net possible or ended up being that guy and that's fascinating Hmm. to me because i mean joseph campbell became famous off of this guy not that he's like he, that was what he was seeking out but i think like he reached the public eye sort of as a comparative mythologist through George Lucas's appreciation of it and using mm. him as a tool to to you know give these like very basic structures and very effective tools of storytelling a public view I don't, I don't know i don't know where i'm going with this but i feel like that's that's fascinating to me that this movie's all about not doing that and then yes and then he does that <laughs> not necessarily does that but like uses that yes he co-ops like the 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 same strength the strength of this movie some for something more commercially successful despite this movie being this very anti-establishment mm. <laughs> like think piece against like you know i want to make art i want to make like something that actually matters is it to the ending the last the last final minutes when the big final twist did not come off as surprising at all to me because probably because we just ingested so much science fiction medium like it's just such a trope now like oh the bigger reveal is that they was they were under the earth the entire time it's, and i'm like oh i've seen that in so many things maybe it's just the matrix it's just because of the matrix not really it's just like yeah but also the allegory of him finally escaping the cave i thought was really neat and i love the credits the ending credits being displayed over the sun that felt like a pretty that, that felt like the, the 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 initial shot for like luke walking towards like uh, the sunset in the new hope i was like oh that's really really cool like that's where yeah. that came from luke is a guy from star wars right not the child from uh, yes. modern no, family no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no not not luke Luke. You know, I just probably got that that he probably named him Luke because he likes 
Star Wars, the yes. dad from Modern Family. Okay, both are. <laughs> yes. I'm watching too much Modern Family. Okay, well, it, here's here's one thing okay. I want to say, just like a trivial, stupid thing that I noticed. All the bald heads and the and the capitalism stuff reminded me of Jeff Bezos and Amazon and stuff like that because they're just at the <laughs> stations <laughs> doing all this stuff and they're all bald and you can't yes, just honestly. get it out of your mind. <laughs> and this constant is like oh no like he their entire his entire existence defined around how well he does at his job and like the way they monitor him and mm. stuff like that yeah it's, apparently he really made the entire cast go bold and there's a documentary called go like thx went going bold or something like that an actress mm-hmm. who plays the main the, the, the main girl is heartbroken she, <laughs> she had to shave all her she could have just yeah, not yeah. taken and i think for good reason because she's barely i think she's barely in the movie and i actually think she i personally think she's given a really thankless mm-hmm. role but all right um, uh, shall we take yeah. a break? Let's do it. All right. And we're back. And now, my personal favorite segment. Who frames Roger Ebert? Yusuf, take it away. So the basic gist of this is the story is simple, but VHS is uh, <laughs> THX is a visual delight. So he 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 likes the visual stuff. Does not think the story holds up, which I think is the opposite. I think this is the central thing of it is that House Parson kind of how limited the scope and uh, not the scope the story is he, there is an interesting thing about his review where he talks about the brave new world of american zeotrope studio began in the 1960s in san francisco and coppola persuaded warner brothers to help finance and distribute a group of features by bright new filmmakers and that he had finished finance rainbow I don't know what that is, but it was like a successful mainstream production. And then his proposal was that this era of youth uh, films, bike films, trip films, and other movies would like, you know, fuel this new movement. Mm -hmm. But it turned out to be a lost cause. So Warner Brothers decided to drop the San Francisco experiment. But one one of those movies that got you know made and and survived of that movement was george lucas's thx it displayed a remarkable visual mastery this is what he says unsettling weirdly effective visual sound and style uh, style standard sci-fi stuff this is his words five centuries in the future mankind inhabits vast underground city programmed by computers and policed by robots and force-fed drugs. What follows is a battle against centralized computer system, which I didn't think that. I was don't the think case. that was the place. I, I it was a battle against, like, not just computer, it's against society. But maybe there's something there. And the state is out of Orwell. He draws that conclusion, which is, you know, what we thought the same thing. And he gives a bit of background about how the National Student Film Festival in 1968, and his student film in that inspired this movie. Experiment was a success. And the sound effects, obviously, he, like, you know, notices its influence later on in Star Wars and blah, blah, blah. And the thing, actually, that he points out, which I thought they kind of, like, ruined, was 
the prison sequence where he's like how can you escape from a prison that is simply an empty void and then all of a sudden they're like oh there's a door over there was like they weren't seeing that it. ruins like they were complacent with the whiteness it's like they don't bother look is i think that the way the holograms is like you're not looking if you look closely the exit is always there and i think it's trying yeah, he's trying to make then, a point that like people when put into like these scenarios like where they don't think for themselves will not think for themselves and will not make an attempt to even try and get like look closer yeah if you have no emotion you don't need to because you don't have yeah. the feeling of like unhappiness or sadness or like fulfillment that's right like because they, they have no desire to escape yeah but then what that made me question what made them put them there in the first place aren't they if they are there in prison aren't they supposed to be emotionally like derivative like, but this is prison so why are they okay <laughs> you're right it is prison i didn't think it was prison i thought they should be like lost even more they were like that was the coolest kind of concept that there's no you know how in the spider-man movie with jake gyllenhaal there's all this like, yeah that weird the, stuff the best like part of the movie that, yeah. yeah yeah which my dad hated that was really? the worst part of the movie in his opinion i was like it's the only yeah. part of the movie that tried to be anything remotely cool and not just punching and stuff i was like wow is he like messing with him by changing his perception of the world around that's cool so that's what i kind of thought if they had just like walked in circles for a longer time they have been worth the money <laughs> that i didn't pay for this so roger ebert's conclusion is that the movie suffers somewhat from its simplistic storyline but as a work of visual imagination it's special and as haunting as parts of 2001 silent running and the andromeda strain i i don't know if that's what i would say but you know I think we're also looking like the we're also holding this up against like like our we've seen a lot of science fiction movies now our our I our perception of what science fiction is I think is a lot grander than I w I'm surprised by like Reach Ebert would just call it simplistic rather than recognizing it as like a very like it's like an adaptation of like the hero's journey but like I'm surprised that he, he would find I, because I don't think the story is because the story is meant to be simple it's a tone piece right like you said it's a tone piece it's all just yeah. about the ideas totally it probably, that's probably feel, isn't yeah. about like rebelling against the computerized century. It, it's under the assumption it's operating on the, he's operating on, under the assumption that the computers are enslaving us when no it's us it's the banality of like humanity like us our willingness to subject ourselves to, to these environments in the vain hope that it will make us better society and make us happier because i i love like the film's re-emphasis like be happy i love that there seems to there seems to be this mm. obsession with like maintaining your spiritual maintaining your emotional level so that when you're not feeling lust when you're not feeling envy with like or negative emotions what, what can even consider like you are happy and that's what they define as happy and i thought that was really interesting and quite a, a like yeah i don't know that's where like it's less 1984 and more brave new world where it's like no the opposite way of indoctrinating a people and like controlling them is through complacency and happiness and i thought that was really cool also my favorite like car chase i've seen in a very very long time i just thought it looked it was so cool the motorcycles are so dope mm, yeah. and i love how they had to squeeze into the cars because they're so low this was a very good choice of a movie for me at least i found mm -hmm. a lot that was fascinating about it now for our next segment what have we been watching michelle do you want to start off first i watched it's called made you look it says documentary you watched wait what oh is it good, is it good? 
Yeah, it's a documentary on Netflix about this, like... No, I... Yeah, the art yeah, the one. Art, yeah. art forgery. I mean, it's all abstract expressionism, yeah. which is literally okay. the easiest to replicate if you think about it. Yeah. But then... But do you think the woman is guilty or not? Because it seems like she's really that's guilty. that's the thing. Because, like, usually, the, like, it, there's a bias in the documentary, and I didn't see mm. the bias. Like, sometimes, mm. like, I don't know, I can kind of... Because, like, they have the woman talking. She, like, the one who did mm. it, and she's, like, mm. defending her but then but her defense is like well i mean they gave me a backstory no, that no. seems so, so like, she i don't got, know like when it first started she got like loads of experts to who in like the little expert in the in like the field of rothko and to say is this a real rothko and he's like yes i can verify that this is a real rothko like it visually mm-hmm. looks like it but the jackson pollock one right they so they said no they were there like, was one no, where not. they said no like later on but the first few like they had mm. this quite a lot of evidence where experts were saying that this is the real thing ah uh, okay <laughs> but then it's not yeah, until someone okay. got forensics to look at it and they were like this mm, paint I'd... didn't exist before the painter died so uh, obviously it's a fake yeah I, w- I watched part of it but i got bored so so does it is does it get better <laughs> I, th- I, I don't know i enjoyed it i don't know if like hmm. i don't know if you don't know that much about it if it's that interesting but i don't know because i mean there's the one woman was in contact hmm. with the woman who ran the art gallery the forger she was the only one who got in prison hmm. for it because the other two one went back to china who was the painter of them and then the other went to hmm. spain and both countries won't as extradite yeah, yeah extradite. the people so they're fine they can just live their life I thought it was interesting. But do you feel do you feel bad uh, you, about the victims? Are, are, They're millionaires. You, yeah, who cares, I mean, right? <laughs> this is like so pocket like yeah. this. Yeah, this, it doesn't really. Um, there's a Van Gogh painting. This one of the sunflowers, which mm-hmm. it, it's hanging in Tokyo. There's uh, there's three that were made, but there's this fake that was so good that they genuinely believed it was real. And Tokyo, mm-hmm. like the the art gallery, refused to acknowledge that this is a fake, even though so many people <laughs> have said it's a fake. They'd just be like, yeah, it's real. We're just going to keep it. So it's still there. Mm. <laughs> still going. So it's not like yeah. uncommon. What should have gave it away is that all the sunflowers are wearing glasses. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> But they they won't. They still won't see it. I don't know. I, I you, Arvin, by the way, uh, you know, I didn't know this, but you know that painting in Mad Men where Bert Cooper buys a painting and everyone's like, it's just an orange block. That's a Rothko. Mm-hmm. Oh. That's, that's a fictional Rothko that they put mm-hmm. in the show. They're like, Bert Cooper has enough money to buy it at that time. But they weren't that expensive at the time, right? So that's also part of it in the documentary. Yeah. They talk about like, oh yeah, these artists didn't have that much money, so they would trade them for like groceries. Or and whatever. like, there's, there's, so there's one bit though, because they say that it's from a time in Pollock's life where like he was in Life magazine, probably the most mm. famous he was at. And they're like, oh, he got this mm. painting on the cheap and no one knew about it. It's incredibly unlikely. <laughs> yeah, how? <laughs> yeah, how? <laughs> well, did you no, watch anything else? Arvin, how about you? Have you um, gotten a chance to? Michelle's gonna hate this, but I just watched really dumb shows this 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 week. I the show the Amazon Prime show Invincible wrapped up, and I really liked it. I thought it was pretty pretty good. I've also watched the Netflix anime Yasuke 
with Lakeith Stanfield as the the first blacks and notably the only black samurai in Japanese history. But do not go into this thinking that this will be historically accurate to any stretch of the imagination. No, this is a. It's basically they take this like fiction, this mythical character, and slap like this very and slap the Logan storyline onto it. He has this, like he is a man with a troubled past, and he has to save this little girl with mysterious powers. However, however, as an introduction to anime. I would say this is the best thing to come out so far because this is a collaboration between American creators and the Japanese animation studio. So instead of、mm. characters talking as if you're like, "Oh my god, that does not sound like they wrote that line in English," this time around they did, and the performances are really good, and the animation is pretty cool. So I will recommend that. Watch two very dumb things this week. I and this very remembered. I watched something else. What? What did you watch? Judas and the Black Messiah. Ooh. Also with Lakeep Stanfield. Ooh, what's that? It's one. It was good. It's like it's very depressing, but it's like、mm-hmm. important film. It's basically like this guy who he used to steal cars by pretending he was the police, and then the police caught him, and they're like, "We won't give you jail time if you become a spy for the Black Panthers." On spy on the Black、oh. Panthers, right? Well, yeah, in, whatever. He's part of. He becomes part <laughs> of the Black Panthers, and he's like, because you never really know where he stands in the film. It's like sometimes he's he because he knows if he goes against the police, he gets jail time. But if he goes against the Black Panthers, they'll kill him. And it's like, and then there's the the end is really haunting because it's um they show a clip of the real guy and、um, where they sh- I think it was like a PBS special、mm-hmm. or something that was saying like all the great work he'd done for the Black Panthers. And then right after it aired, he killed himself. Oh, he couldn't take it. Yeah. Wow. Because he got the leader killed, right? He organized the assassination. Yeah, that's brutal. Yeah, he basically tells them the layout、wow. of the flat so that they know who to attack and how. And like that final shooting, which killed the leader of the Black Panthers, the Black Panthers shot once, and then the police shot ninety nine times. So yeah, it's really fair. And he was like about <laughs> the guy they killed. the The leader was about to go to prison the next day anyway, but that they just decided to kill him.、Mm. And wow, like, like people still argue、okay. that America is so great. It's literally a dictatorless dictatorship, and I'm so sick of people saying it's great. Well, there is a dictator. Who's no, a dictator? <laughs> no, no, it's uh, it's the dictator is、yeah. the system the dic- of, yeah. and like a a few families that have. A lot of money, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and it's always kind of shifting into like different people, but the same the kind same of system is what runs it. Have, and they get、mm. in the、yeah. power, and then they can perform it in ways that can be covered up, and then it just it it's like it didn't exist, and they can just manipulate the past to make、mm-hmm. it. On their side, rather than what actually happened. Politics is such a zero-sum game, and you realize how me- meaningless it is. It's like, oh, what? Why do politicians need to exist? Why do Why do they matter? When、Because、most of the time, when it's proven time and time again, under the current system,、yeah. they only act out of self-interest or out of the interest of a very select、well, it's few. It's like literally all these claims about、so. Boris Johnson laundering. Well, it's、mm. not laundering, but it's、mm. like setting up deals <laughs> for the guy who、mm. the head of Dyson to. Create ventilators, and、yeah. he'll get the ten percent cut of all the profits if he slashes his taxes on it. Jesus! Wow! So there was literally like <laughs> people yeah, in the UK who paid more tax、yeah. than、yeah. the multi-million-dollar owner of Dyson. So it's great, isn't it? Well, isn't isn't what、uh, Doug Ford do?、Uh, I think no, so.、Doug、yes,、Ford、doing with the、uh, construction companies the same、yes. thing, more yes, or less, like having them open during the. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just it's kind of insane. It's not the mafia if it's the government, isn't it? <laughs> 
yeah. it kind of just becomes that. Like, you, this has been politics. <laughs> this has been corner. politics corner. Yeah, we're we're a bunch of we're a bunch of snowflake snowflake leftists. I apologize. Why to you, are you apologizing? I, uh, I want. <laughs> no, it's being who are you apologizing? I know to? you're conservative. I don't you, think yeah, anyone. just don't you're listen terrible. to this. If you're conservative, I'm not <laughs> interested. I prefer like my echo chambers. Thank you. <laughs> Well, if you're a conservative, read Nietzsche and then <laughs> notice that he's talking about enslaving you. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you're not the guy that he's talking about exactly. being the it's super the, man. It's always like, oh, uh, if I were back going but, back to the uh, old days when men were men and like kings and like you're not gonna, you're not gonna, you don't belong. You're, what makes you think that if you we were like back in the 1800s, you would be in the top echelon of society? any more than you are now <laughs> like it's crazy but that's the thing we um, can't have a lead like a person who controls everything but then they know about it that's why like america gets away with stuff because it's like you don't know who's doing this it's just like mm. blanket term the government and that's how they get away with it mm. and that's how they control you like literally you salute a goddamn flag how is that not a dictatorship that's pretty and the pledge of allegiance that's yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, guys. We're we're dear, are we? I don't care. They know what I salute. It's a terrible place. <laughs> you know what? What I salute is uh, the American sitcom. <laughs> I've been watching Modern Family, and it's brought me so much joy. <laughs> Wait, which seasons are you watching? So I think I started in uh, three, and now I'm up to where it's getting bad. <laughs> That's like eleven or ten. <laughs> but no, no, it's it, it's Nine. pretty much. Uh, I'm now in five, oh. and uh, the uh, what's his name? The the guy from Workaholics shows up, and I don't know. It's Adam not that Devine. bad. He's great in like, that. Yeah, I really like him as like the more like you know straight lace. Like he plays like that kind of character really well, just as well as he plays like a complete douchebag. In fact, I would say he's more he's yeah. more likable here well, than he is in Workaholics. Or mm. he's meant to be. Man, I still remember I that. Uh, he... So yeah, I mean that's all I've been watching. Oh, I did watch Macbeth. Mm -hmm. Which version? The Roman Polanski mm -hmm. one. He was me too. But... I mean, he wasn't me too. <laughs> he, like uh, I hate this phrase. He's still he's making a new I movie. He's phrase. making a new movie. He's not me too. Because <laughs> he wasn't me too. He is was like, a criminal. He, he didn't is have a criminal. He is, what he did. He's a rape. He he raped yeah, he's a rapist. He was not me too. Because that implies something happened to him. He, he just is not suffering consequences that he should be suffering. He me too. He me too. <laughs> I no, I just, I just don't like he this me too verb. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm honestly yes. We should. Um, yeah, it's being appropriated for like the wrong ex exact. Uh, I watched it. Okay, but okay, I watched it because I just I found mm -hmm. uh, something very fascinating. A guy whose wife got murdered and unborn child makes a Macbeth movie. That's his choice. That was his like. Oh, I'm gonna try to work through this pain. Mm -hmm. And he chooses Macbeth. And I've always been curious as to why. It's dark um, I didn't get the answer I wanted. You didn't? Is it though? I don't know. I don't, I don't think I got an answer. I think it was like, okay, well, he always wanted to adapt a Shakespeare play. So he did this. It's very violent and mystical. But why specifically that? Do you, I don't, do you think it was I don't get it. What, good he, film uh, though? Yeah. <laughs> why the pause? I just don't think Shakespeare I mean, because I hesitate. Screen. I... Honestly, this one does. I feel 
like he he does a good job i mean obviously the like the like you know it's it still has its problems because it's adapting shakespeare into like a medium that wasn't mm-hmm. you know there but he does a great job of it like there are parts where okay so like for example mm-hmm. when uh macduff i think is who kills macbeth in the play he comes back with his head but he shows us the violence basically he just like shows us the full battle and it's done in such a way that it's it's not only just cool, but it shows you how kind of the character's mind works. Mm-hmm. Where he's like, okay, I'm a very confident evil guy, and I also am conflicted about what I've done, but I'm in too deep. Mm-hmm. So he's sort of like trying to kill himself in this battle, but he's still like living through it. And he's like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> like He's like obviously like hating that he's winning. And I don't know. I thought he did a great job. I personally hate the the person, but I love his work. Yeah, like I love Rosemary's Baby and love uh, and loved this movie. I thought it was a and great the the Tenet. I thought that was really the good tenet, too. Yeah, yeah it was such yeah, a good ho- a really psychological good. horror film. Like that. I like that was the last time where I watched like, a psychological horror film. I was like, whoa, this is like take it go like it's. Mm. It takes its time, unlike anything that comes out today, where it takes its time to build up. Well, that, people are like, scared of that because we everything's so fast-paced, and if you slow it down, people mm-hmm. are just not interested. Uh, now to recommendations, I I want to recommend American Graffiti. I'm gonna, mm-hmm. it's a good George Lucas movie. I loved it. Banging soundtrack. That's my recommendation. Mm-hmm. Okay. How about you, cool. Michelle? Woody Allen Sleeper. Ooh. It's- actually yes it's early yeah. very early woody allen and he plays i mean he doesn't play a robot but he acts like he's mm-hmm. a robot and like where there's robots are going <laughs> around and like he wait he's been like in this deep sleep for 200 years or something and then he like accidentally escapes mm-hmm. the science experiment that they woke him up and then like falls in love with diane mm-hmm. keaton and you know chaos ensues mm-hmm. it's a lot more slapsticky like he he wanted to make it all black and white and silent but the studio was like that will not style you're not doing that so he had to you know put sound in mm-hmm. cool and i think visually at some points in terms of just the production design it kind of reminded me of this as well yeah and there's yeah. an orgasmatron which is like a machine where you just go in and it gives you orgasms <laughs> That's it. Yeah, he had just one in this one as well. Cool. That's the connecting link. Mm-hmm. A robot that makes you orgasm. Arvin, what are you recommending? Um, I I would rec in terms of another moody tone piece film that adopts like very science science fiction aesthetics. I want to recommend Beyond the Black Rainbow. Uh, this is a mm. 2010 Canadian science fiction horror film. It is the same director as Mandy, the insane oh, bizarro Nicolas Cage movie. This is. Yes, I, I, the reason why I recommend this is that it's the other, it's the only other really real like science fiction tone piece film I can really think of, that is very light on story. However, it has very very evocative imagery and is genuinely you can tell that the director also wants to say something about condi- human conditioning and control and you know authority, going against authority. Yeah, that's my recommendation. Beyond the Black Rainbow. Thank you for listening. And oh, uh, what are we watching next week? Oh, yeah. Well, what are we watching yeah, next week? Whose turn yeah, is it? Is it Michelle, it's yeah. yours. So we're going to do our first listener recommendation of Shrek. Oh. Oh my god. <laughs> Let's do it. We have okay. rain. Hell. We can okay. go from, you know, Super Arty. Oh, we started with Chicken Run. Come on. Chicken yeah. Run and Shrek, both DreamWorks. Yeah. Let's do Let's it. Let's do it. Mm, excited to revisit that. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll see you real <laughs> later. <laughs> I forgot the thing. Keep it real. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
Bye, guys. Bye. The 730 is hosted by Marvin Huang, Michelle Hassel, and Yusuf Al-Bashir. Logo by Joe Conti. Our ad break music is composed by Yusuf Sui Lin. And our outro music is composed by Yahya Al-Bashir. Thanks for listening.